How much confidence should people have in this new system here in LA? None. None? Zero. I agree with that guy. Who is that guy? You don't know, but he sure is handsome. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck Here in the I middle am. with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., in Red Bluff and Redding, California, and KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV. Out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. And yes, we stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for you on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Sort of. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com. Boy, howdy, do we have a lot to cover today. What? Uh, It's taken uh, days for the Iowa Democratic Party to release the numbers from Monday's Iowa caucus, and they still have got the numbers wrong? Yep, that's what it appears. But I will tell you this. The fact that we know the numbers are wrong is a very good thing. I will get to that uh, in just a bit. Got a lot to cover here, as I said today. At my side, as ever, is the delightful and lovely Desiree Doyen. How are you, Desiree? I am here, uh, are, and that to me is a victory. <laughs> are you Are you holding up? Yes. Everything was supposed to be easier once the uh, impeachment was uh, out of the way. Has yeah, that, not so much. Not, not so with much? the full war breaking out in Washington, D.C., at least political verbal war. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and that verbal war, you'll be happy to know, we will not be much covering today because Good. we have more important things to get to. You're right. Donald Trump did hold a uh, a pep rally of sorts. I'm not even sure what to call it, where he thanked all his supporters who helped him be acquitted for two articles of impeachment for which he was absolutely, definitely, provably, demonstrably guilty. In this uh, sort of vicious, I don't even know what to vicious, call it. Vicious, rambling, bitter, bonkers uh, statement that well, he had Well, that's just a normal House. day in the life of Donald Trump well, these days. Good point. Uh, he did describe uh, the evil, quote, evil and vicious people and dirty cops 
who were who he says were behind all of this. He said, if I hadn't fired dirty cop, dirty cop James Comey, the FBI director, I probably wouldn't be here now. He said he called his uh, perceived enemies leakers and liars. He said we went through hell and we did nothing wrong. He held up a copy of Washington Post's front page today with great big letters. Trump acquitted saying uh, this is the final result to a round of applause from his supporters who were gathered at the White House uh, for this remarkable event. He called the entire thing from the White House on live television a word that I cannot even repeat or play here. That, ladies and gentlemen, is your president of the United States. He also viciously attacked Utah's Republican Senator Mitt Romney, Several times since the acquittal vote in the U.S. Senate on Wednesday, which we discussed on yesterday's broadcast, after uh, Mitt Romney voted guilty on at least the first of two articles of impeachment against Donald Trump. And uh, yesterday I pondered uh, with our guests, Heather uh, Digby Parton and Tom Sullivan, uh, whether Romney's uh, given his courageous stance, whether he should be a nominee for a profile in courage award. But I noted that after I realized he only voted guilty on the first article of impeachment for abuse of power, but not guilty on the second article, obstruction of justice, I was a bit less sure whether he deserved those sort of accolades. Since then, however, and I hadn't realized this at the time because it had happened maybe uh, 30 minutes before airtime yesterday. Uh, I've since learned that uh, Romney, the former Republican Party nominee for president of the United States, who, along with another previous Republican Party nominee for president, John McCain, has been mercilessly attacked by the current still sitting and forever impeached president of the United States, Donald Trump. I hadn't realized that Romney was actually the first senator in history, in U.S. history, to actually cast a vote of guilty in an impeachment trial against a president from their own party. That had never been done before. Granted, it's not a huge sample that we are working from. There have only been three uh, presidential impeachment trials in U.S. history. But I had not realized until after yesterday's program that no senator had previously done that, voted against a president from their own party. So for, for that matter, and, and no matter how you or I might otherwise feel about Mitt Romney and his politics. For that alone, yeah, I, I sort of do believe he ought to be nominated for a Profiles in Courage Award for his courageous vote on Wednesday. Yes, I would agree with that. And and remember how the uh, Republicans, the Senate Republicans all said that they were really upset that Schiff had said during the um, the actual trial portion mm-hmm. when he said that there were the Republican senators had been threatened with having their heads on spikes. Yeah. Well, it looks like Romney is getting the full brunt of yeah. attacks from the Trump campaign and his fellow Republicans. His head is on a pike indeed uh, from the entire party and indeed from the president of the United States in, in several instances uh, today. And last night afterward, after his vote and so forth. Now, I had actually hoped to play Mitt Romney's remarks in full, uh, his remarks in the U.S. Senate before his vote. If you haven't heard them in full, you should go do yourself the favor on on YouTube or wherever and see his full. It's only eight minutes. But unfortunately, I've got so much that I must try to get to today that I can't do that. But I did want to make note 
to clarify my thoughts on what Romney did here and how exceptional it actually was, particularly with these extraordinary attacks that he's now receiving, as even he predicted that he would in his own remarks in the Senate uh, from this grotesque president and his horrific supporters. There was also this very ugly back and forth between Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi today. Well, at least an ugly attack from Trump and an appropriately restrained response from Pelosi that actually began in comments from Trump at the National Prayer Breakfast on Thursday morning of all places when Trump took that opportunity to attack Pelosi while she was sitting there. Uh, at the table, at the prayer breakfast. And Pelosi is actually a very religious woman, by the way. He attacked her faith in God. I mean, it was just appalling. So I will also not play those remarks or Pelosi's response uh, for lack of time, but also because they're being covered everywhere else. And and I want to keep my eyes looking forward as to where we all go from here today and how we get out of this long national nightmare once and for all that sadly did not end with Donald Trump's impeachment or his removal. Anyway, all you need to know for now on that score is that Trump is, you know, running around claiming victory and that the American people are with him, that this was a witch hunt and uh, his opponents are evil, but he and his supporters are victorious and they run the world. Well, these numbers are from the well-respected Ipsos Reuters poll just this week, February 3 and 4, on Monday and Tuesday. In the question, President Trump is guilty of abusing the office of the president. That was the first article of impeachment. 56% of of registered voters agree. 56% agree, just 40% disagree. And, of course, there's the uh, usual split on the Democratic side and the Republican side. So let's look at the independent registered voters. Independent registered voters agree 67 to 30% that, yes, Donald Trump is guilty of abusing the office of the president. On the second count of impeachment, yeah, American people, uh, the American people are right there as well. Registered voters say 54 to 40 percent. They agree that Trump is guilty of obstructing Congress. And among independent registered voters, they agree even more so, 61 to 26 percent. So Donald Trump can say whatever he wants. He can lie as he does, as easy as breathing. He can say whatever he wants. But the American people know that he's wrong, and I hope they know that he is lying when he is out there talking about how much the American people are behind him and support him and think the whole thing was a hoax. They don't. The American people think he's guilty, and he should have been removed from office, and he likely, or he perhaps might have, had Mitch McConnell and the Republicans not rigged the uh, trial in the Senate to keep out any and all witnesses and documents for the first time in American history. So, you know those facts. Beyond that, I want to keep looking uh, forward to keep our eyes on how we get out of this hellish, nightmarish mess that we are all now living under. To that end, and, uh, and, uh, and, and my apologies to the listener who, who tweeted me a few days ago because I don't have his exact name or quote, 
Uh, I think it was a he. In any event, uh, he tweeted something along the lines of, uh, I'm sorry, the Brad blog, where that's me. You can find me at the Brad blog on Twitter. I'm sorry, the Brad blog, but I have to take a break from the Bradcast, he said, because you just spend too much time on voting systems. Okay, well... I would like to think that after Iowa, at the very least, uh, that Twitter person who tweeted me before Iowa, I would like to think that he and uh, many others may now understand why this is so important before this election, this most critical election in our nation's history, and why understanding these voting systems before that election falls apart is so important. It's an election that I described earlier this week as our last firewall to stave off full-on authoritarianism in this country. And it should be noted that on the day that Donald Trump was acquitted, his attorney general put out a notice that from here on out, any investigations uh, inside the FBI of any declared presidential or vice presidential candidate must go through him first for approval. So when I say this is our last firewall to stave off full-on authoritarianism, I'm hoping people are beginning to understand, even those people who are concerned about the fact that I'm trying to underscore the serious concerns in our voting system. Because if we can't vote this guy out, nothing else matters. So, yes, sorry, not sorry, but we will continue to cover these issues and warn about the dangers and how voters can try to avoid them. I'll have news on the uh, latest news and concerns and results out of Iowa in a bit. But as we look forward to upcoming elections, I have been spending quite a bit of time warning about the the infiltration, if you will, of 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen ballot marking devices being deployed around the country for the first time in 2020. Now, if people want to complain about how Iowa went, at least we have a shot of knowing how people voted because it's actually a rather transparent process, as confusing and complex as it is. But when it comes to these uh, touchscreen voting systems, we can never know after an election. There is no evidence of how a voter actually voted. That seems important to me. So, uh, yes, what we are looking at all across the country is more new, secretly developed, vulnerable, unnecessary computer tech for mission-critical elections, similar to the problem that uh, brought down the Iowa caucus. So what could possibly go wrong? These systems are being deployed to battleground states like Georgia and Pennsylvania and North Carolina and Texas. And yes, even here in my home county of Los Angeles, the largest voting jurisdiction in the nation for some idiotic reason. After I have been warning for years about this uh, Los Angeles system, which our registrar, recorder, county clerk, Dean Logan, has been developing for 10 years, but will no longer come on this program to discuss with me, to answer questions about. After developing it for 10 years, I was at the very first meeting for what has now become known as the VSAP system, which stands for Voting Solutions for All People. So the VSAP solution, most of the media have out here in, uh, well, out here in, in Los Angeles, but certainly around the country, have been either ignoring the serious concerns about this $300 million system or they're writing glowing articles about it, about this, you know, this wonderful new modern way to cast your vote. 
at the precincts in Los Angeles in 2020. It's fantastic. Well, now at least some folks, now that we are just weeks away from the Super Tuesday elections on March 3rd, when these systems will be deployed for the first time in Los Angeles, a handful, some, a very small handful of corporate media outlets are beginning to take notice and to issue some warnings akin to the ones issued by some of us uh, here prior to the Iowa caucus smartphone app meltdown when we warned about that one as well. Earlier this week, reporter David Goldstein of CBS2 here in Los Angeles, he was here to interview me a week or two ago. He finally ran his report on what could prove to be a similar mess in Los Angeles, depending on how things go. And even, of course, if they go well, We can't know that afterwards because we can't know if any of the votes cast on that system are actually as per voter intent. But if what happened in Iowa happens here and we have a problem with this uh, secretly developed new tech in a mission critical election, it could affect some five and a half million voters on Super Tuesday or in the general election this November. Now, David Goldstein didn't hit on all of the concerns that we have discussed on this program, but he hit on a a few in a a pretty good report where you will hear me quoted, as well as UC Berkeley professor Phil Stark, who has been on this show. And yes, L.A.'s registrar, recorder, county clerk, Dean Logan. On the heels of the Iowa caucus mess, CBS2 has uncovered some major concerns about L.A. County's computerized voting system. Yeah, this is Californians prepared to head to the polls next month. Investigative reporter David Goldstein is here with what you need to know before you cast your vote. This is a brand new system. State regulators already found dozens of problems with it. Well, L.A.'s new computerized system costs hundreds of millions of dollars in taxpayer money. It'll be used the first time on Super Tuesday in March. Already the city of Beverly Hills has sued to try and stop it. And critics warn your vote may be in jeopardy. This is the future of L.A. County's voting machines. A touchscreen computerized method which everyone in L.A. County will be using on the March 3rd primary. It costs taxpayers $300 million to develop, but not everyone is confident it'll work. How much confidence should people have in this new system here in L.A.? None. None? Zero. He promised. Brad Freeman hosts a radio talk show. APFK. He's a former software programmer critical of election integrity issues nationwide, as well as the L.A. system. They are untested. They failed uh, more than 40 different California voting system standards when they were uh, tested by independent testers. These are the reports commissioned by the California Secretary of State's office, which shows dozens of security problems. This one found a large number of publicly known vulnerabilities that increased the likelihood of a problem in the future. Another stating lock picking on the machine was attempted and was successful. Tamper evident adhesive label seals were removed by testers, calling them easily defeated locks and seals. Even though Secretary of State Alex Padilla certified the system for use pending completion of certain conditions, but it doesn't satisfy everyone. The overall design of the system is something that I have trouble with. Philip Stark is a professor at Berkeley who studied the machines that have what's called ballot marking devices. 
That's this piece of paper that the computer generates with your vote. Once you finish voting, you print your ballot. Then you can take it out, take a look at it, make sure everything is correct. Then you put it back in the slot and it's official. But once inside the machine, critics say your ballot could get changed without anyone knowing. So a device that was misprogrammed, misconfigured, hacked, could print additional votes on your ballot, could alter your selections, could render your ballot uh, unreadable. How much confidence should voters have in these new machines? I think voters can have a great deal of confidence. L.A. County Registrar Dean Logan says there are backup systems and select post-election audits that he claims will ensure that every vote will be accurate. I'm confident that we have done the due diligence to ensure that we've designed a system that is intended to make the process work. The machines are Logan's baby, developed and owned by L.A. County. But a company called Smartmatic won the bid to manufacture them. Smartmatic has come under fire after irregularities in the Philippines during last year's elections. The country's president even lashed out. Dispose of the Smartmatic. Published reports also show delays with Smartmatic machines in Utah in 2016. Does that concern you, the fact of what happened in the Philippines last year, what happened in Utah? Logan says he's not concerned because the L.A. machines are designed by the county, not Smartmatic. I have a, a high deal of confidence in the work they've done. But critics say just the suggestion of improprieties could hurt confidence in elections. Even if they work perfectly, the problem is we cannot know that after an election. That's damn dangerous, if you ask me. Now, as part of an agreement with the state to allow these machines to go forward, all voters at the polls will be allowed to use old-fashioned paper ballots if they request one. Uh, but that's going to really tie things up. People want to do the paper ballots. Sure. They're going to fill those out. People aren't going to be familiar with these new machines. That'll take time as well. They're going to need a lot of help with that. And the fact that you could just decide if you don't want... After you do that, you could say, oh, I don't think I did that right. I want a paper ballot. Well, once you put it back in, I don't think you can then do that. Then that's it? But the good thing is, everyone should know, we have a 10-day voting period now. So it's oh, not just right. one day on Election Day. It starts 10 days before. They're hoping that they can iron out some problems in those first couple of days. I'm, I'm just wondering, if you're not supposed to trust Smartmatic, a private company, they say it's okay. L.A. County designed the systems. When did L.A. County become an expert at designing a computer? Well, voter? it was Dean Logan's baby. He designed it uh, along with a number of people. It's been in development for 10 years. Mm. L.A. County, okay. they say, right. is, a, is a unique county. A lot of voters, diff 13 different languages, so they want to develop a machine for everybody. That's a lot of work. We will see what happens. And we hope it does there. work. Yeah, hope so. up. We're going to be here a while. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks, David. Okay. There you go. That was uh, David Goldstein on CBS2 in Los Angeles, his report from earlier this week featuring uh, yours truly here and there. I thought he did a good job in general with that report. Yeah, he did. I mean, obviously, there's way more to cover of the security vulnerabilities in this particular system, the user interface problems with the system. But I think he did a good job sort of summarizing the major points of it, except the part about the barcode being the part that is actually counted and that you cannot verify it. Well, you can't verify it. You also can't verify the human readable portion as well, because 93 percent as we learned uh, in a recent University of Michigan study, 93% of voters do not notice 
when a BMD-style system like this has flipped one of their votes. Yeah, and you know, I also want to speak to the guy who is tired of hearing about voting systems. I totally oh, understand be nice, that. be nice. No, I, I, I understand and I sympathize with him. It's just that I spend a lot of time on Twitter and Facebook debunking and educating voters about how their voting systems actually work. And There's a lot of misconceptions about and that. And we're going to get to some debunkery in a second regarding Good. Iowa. But uh, two points I do want to correct there at the end of uh, David's uh, David Goldstein's piece uh, where he said that old-fashioned paper ballots will be available for voters at the voting system, uh, at the uh, uh, voting centers. Uh, well, one point. It won't be the same old-fashioned paper ballots you're used to. It will be some special write-in ballot that the uh, California Secretary of State is forcing Dean Logan and Los Angeles to have available where you basically will have to write in the name of the candidate, the office and the name of the candidate that you would like to vote for. That's if you want to vote on paper at one of these new voting centers. Uh, and when I say new voting centers, we are changing also in this election from 5,000 community precincts to about 1,000 voting centers where you can go to any one of them and vote. You don't have to go to your same old precinct. We'll see how much uh, the word gets out about that and how much confusion and havoc there is on uh, on Election Day. We will cross our fingers and hope that the power or Internet does not go out, that there won't be ransomware uh, deployed that uh, keeps everybody from being able to vote at all at these voting centers. But he said you can uh, vote 10 days early. That is sort of true. But these uh, 1,000 voting centers that are supposed to be open and they've been uh, pimping a lot as, hey, early voting, anywhere you want to go to a voting center, you can go in anytime 10 days before the election. Well, there will only be, as I understand, four of those uh, voting centers open 10 days before. You can go to lavote.net if you live in L.A. and figure out where they are. Good luck to you. Otherwise, the other ones open will be open on Election Day or I think the weekend uh, before the March 3rd election. Now, uh, very quickly before we go to a break, some of those comments from Dean Logan there, all of this was done, by the way, prior to the Iowa meltdown, including my interview with Goldstein and Dean Logan's interview. Some of those concerns from Logan there sounded somewhat familiar. Here, here's what Logan said uh, when he was asked generally about uh, confidence that he had in this brand new system. I think voters can have a great deal of confidence. I'm confident that we have done the due diligence to ensure that we've designed a system that is intended to make the process work. He's confident, and I hope he's right. As noted, even if he's uh, even if he is right, we can't know if the if the votes are uh, are recorded the way voters actually wanted to. But hopefully, there won't be chaos and everything will be okay. But when I heard those comments, it sort of rang a bell. To my ears, and I realized why. Oh, it sounded a lot like Tom Price, the Iowa Democratic Party, when he was asked on uh, CBS News about the Iowa smartphone app just the day before the Iowa caucus. These are probably the most prepared we've ever been as a party for these caucuses. And we've run through a few different scenarios, but I can tell you we're ready. We're ready. He went on to say, we have backups of backups of backups. It sounded to me a lot like what Dean Logan was saying. Oh, we have spent a lot of time. I'm very confident. What could possibly go wrong? Well, we know what went wrong in Iowa, sort of. 
We still don't know fully what went wrong. Let's take a quick break and we will come back uh, as we are learning even today. You thought it was the uh, smartphone app that knocked out uh, what happened in, uh, in Iowa? Apparently there was much more to it. We'll get to that and a whole lot more straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Uh-huh. You can't count on me like one, two, three. I'll be there And I know when I need it I can I'll be here Whether I like it, whether you like it or not Welcome back to the Bradcast Brad Friedman from bradblog.com A hotline that was used by Iowa Precinct Chairs to report Democratic Caucus results to the state party on Monday night at the Iowa caucuses was reportedly flooded with calls on Monday from supporters of President Donald Trump. After that phone number was posted online, it contributed to the delays in the vote tallying process, according to Bloomberg News on Thursday, who first reported this. Mandy McClure, communications director for the uh, party, told the Des Moines Register uh, Register that on caucus day, the Iowa Democratic Party experienced an unusually high volume of inbound phone calls to its caucus hotline, including from supporters of President Trump. The unexplained and at times hostile calls contributed to the delay in the Iowa Democratic Party's collection of results. Now, you may have heard the stories that the smartphone app went down or some you know folks out there had trouble using it or downloading it. So they got on the phone to phone in their numbers, but then they were held for hours on hold. Some of them hung up on, couldn't get through. Sources told Bloomberg that Ken Sigar, a uh, state Democratic Central Com- Committee member, told other party officials on a Wednesday conference call that a high volume of people called in and express support for the president to this phone number that was supposed to be for reporting caucus results. Apparently, the number became public after caucus paperwork was posted online, and some folks had that number written on the paperwork, according to Bloomberg. NBC reported that the number was then posted on the fringe right-wing website 4chan, along with encouragement to, quote, clog the lines. Uh, quote, they have to call in the results now. Very long hold times being reported. Phone lines being clogged, one user posted at about 11 p.m. on uh, on Monday, three hours after the caucuses had begun. That would be just about the time that they had ended and they'd be calling in to the Democratic Party headquarters with these numbers. Another anonymous user wrote sarcastically, uh-oh, how unfortunate it would be for a bunch of mischief makers to start clogging the lines. Some users chimed in, posting alleged wait times on hold, imploring others to, quote, clog the lines and make the call, lads. 
Rob Sand, the uh, state auditor of Iowa, said that he took result uh, result calls on Monday night as a volunteer and received an influx of calls that appeared to have been generated by a post on the Internet. He said a lot of calls came in at a certain point where it was clear somebody had published the hotline number somewhere. Iowa Democratic Party officials said that party staff members and volunteers flagged and subsequently blocked repeated callers who appeared to be reaching out in an attempt to interfere with their reporting duties. These included callers who would hang up immediately after being connected and callers who expressed support for Trump and displeasure with the Democratic Party. So I know there's a lot of uh, Republicans out there who think it's hilarious that uh, there were uh, problems reporting these uh, numbers at the Democratic Iowa caucus on Monday and that it somehow proves that Democrats can't do anything. And, well, maybe it does. You can make that case. But it looks like there was uh, at least a number of Republicans out there trying to. I'm trying monkey to avoid. Wrench. Yes, thank you. We'll I'm trying to avoid. Wrench. You know what word I'm try, <laughs> trying to monkey wrench these results. Thank you very much, Desiree. But this is not the first time that something similar has occurred. In 2002, Republican operatives jammed Democratic get out the vote phones during a Senate election between Republican John Sununu and then Governor of New Hampshire Gene Shaheen. In order uh, during an election to fill the seat of a retiring Republican senator, Bob Smith, at the time, the New Hampshire GOP at that time had actually hired a telemarketing firm for election tampering, specifically involving the use of a call center to jam phone lines of the Democrats and their get out the vote operation. In the end, as confirmed during a criminal prosecution of all of this, at least 900 calls were made for 45 minutes of disruption to the Democratic-leaning call centers. Sununu, the Republican nominee, won that election in a very narrow contest over Shaheen that could have easily been affected by that Republican effort. Now, four men were convicted of or pleaded guilty to participating in this scheme, this uh, federal uh, crime, and they were sentenced to prison for their involvement uh, in this matter. And uh, the state GOP had to pay New Hampshire Democrats $125,000 in damages. So I don't know that it's too far-fetched to suggest that this was, yes, monkey-wrenched, potentially, by uh, Republicans, whether they were just you know supporters out there on uh, 4chan or whether they were actually uh, party members somehow trying to get away with something here. We'll get a few more thoughts on that, uh, hopefully on our next broadcast, uh, when one of those uh, Republicans who was uh, convicted in this scheme and was sent to prison will hopefully join us to talk about what happened then and help us try to unravel what may have happened here. And, you know, it's also a good warning that dirty tricks and monkey wrenching are about to go into turbocharged overdrive. This is only the beginning of that, and it's really important to be vigilant, especially about what you share online. On Thursday afternoon, according to The Hill, Kathy Sullivan, who was the chair of the New Hampshire Democratic Party back during the phone jamming scandal in 2002, she called for an investigation into uh, these reports that have emerged today. She said, quote, I was sickened but not surprised to hear that Republicans jammed Iowa Democratic Party phone lines Monday night in an effort to disrupt counting 
and reporting caucus results. So this is just one of many reasons that I have been noting here for years now that the focus on Russia and foreign interference in our election, while it, it's maybe important to try and it's certainly important to try and guard against, but it is by no means the only interference that election officials and the public should be concerned about and should be guarding against. It is why focusing only on Russia or even other foreign adversaries uh, results in uh, the door, I would say, being left wide open for domestic criminals and mischief makers. And yes, even insiders and elections officials who often have direct access to our voting and tabulation systems that cannot and should not be overlooked. And yet, you know, when I hear from Democrats uh, so much about Russia, 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 yes, you need a, a, a system that guards against Russia, but you need a much more secure system than that. You need a system that is public enough that everyone can see what is going on and can help find, can help discover problems and results and numbers that don't add up. Now, this, none of this is by way of excusing the failure of the Iowa Democratic Party for choosing to use untested, secretly developed, highly unsecure tech in a mission-critical election, despite warnings beforehand from cybersecurity experts and folks like me who have covered voting system vulnerabilities for years. But add it to the list of things that uh, in the four years since 2016 and the many years before that have been largely ignored by election officials and elected officials alike as they add more and more such oft-failed, easily manipulated tech to our mission-critical elections. Just like uh, what Dean Logan ha is preparing to do out here in L.A. but has much confidence in what could possibly go wrong. The chaos that has persisted since the Iowa caucuses on Monday, given the failure of this technology and anything else that may have contributed to it, has certainly been a black eye for Democrats at the beginning of the nominating process, as we still have only incomplete results from Iowa, even though we're now up to 97 percent of precincts reporting uh, out of the Hawkeye state, as I last uh, checked. But so much of this is predictable. Indeed, it has been predicted by folks like us. Uh, we warned about it. And I fear that, uh, that this is only going to get worse, not better, as the process continues, unless election officials and elected officials wise up and wise up fast. Though I don't think they will. But there is a bright side to all of this and some important lessons that I think should be learned for those who care to pay attention I'll get to those lessons in a moment, but just the 97 percent uh, that have been reported by the Iowa Democratic Party. So those still incomplete and not fully confirmed numbers uh, at this hour show us still that Pete Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders are pretty much in a virtual tie separated by one tenth of one percent when it comes to uh, precincts. Uh, and just three state delegate equivalents, which is what they call them. So it's it, and, and we still have three percent more results to come in at some point. So it's pretty much an absolute tie, it appears, at least according to the reported numbers. 
when it comes to precincts and when it comes to total uh, uh, state delegate equivalents, as they call them. But when it comes to voters, Bernie Sanders actually won Iowa, at least according to these numbers. Uh, In the first round of voting, he received 42,600 or so votes. Buttigieg received only 36,700 on the second round, after uh, voters, uh, supporters of, of candidates who were not considered viable in the caucus because they couldn't reach 15 percent in the first round of voting, after those voters adjusted to other candidates, Buttigieg picked up uh, quite a few. And, uh, all, well, let's see. Bernie Sanders got 44,700 and something votes. Buttigieg got 42,200, so about 2,500 votes difference. But. Bernie won the second round. I see. So uh, that's where those numbers are. Make of them what you will, because there are still a lot of questions and concerns about those numbers. With the New Hampshire primary now, the next uh, uh, contest here, just days away, with uh, still no final results from the Hawkeye State. But New Hampshire is, uh, as I say, coming up Tuesday. I'm sure that will all go very smoothly, right? The numbers coming out of Iowa, however, have all kinds of, uh, of problems. And while that sounds like that's a bad thing, I would actually argue that is a good thing. For example, a, uh, a poster over at Daily Coast last night uh, who calls themselves Neutron uh, has an article uh, headlined, Iowa chaos, Sanders votes swapped for Deval Patrick, Warren votes swapped for Tom Steyer. And he cites a very awesome county supervisor in Black Hawk County, Iowa, who uh, pointed out what he reported to the state was not what was in the final results. He made a post online at the time to that end. And it turns out, uh, as Neutron says, some dude on the Internet figured out what was that what was being posted did not exactly reflect what it should have. And Deval Patrick's numbers and Tom Steyer's numbers looked to have been inflated. In fact, they were inflated. Some numbers in the um, uh, in the results that were being reported were incorrectly uh, put in place. Some votes that should have gone to Sanders instead went to Deval Patrick. Some votes that should have gone to Warren, etc., went to Tom Steyer. And we were able to fix these numbers. In fact, The uh, Iowa Democratic Party put out an apology, uh, said there will be a minor correction to the last batch of results, and they corrected some of those results. They were forced to walk back some of their initial numbers. Why? Because all of these numbers were public. All of the people at the precinct knew what the results were because they were all counted publicly at the precinct before the results left anywhere. It's one of the reasons I have called for hand-marked paper ballots hand-counted publicly at the precinct on election night before those results move, before those are sent back to party headquarters. And here they were. So here, these results, which are chaotic and which are now being entered manually into spreadsheets, sometimes incorrectly, uh, at least they are being corrected. Now, the person who posted this at uh, Daily Coast, Neutron, said, uh, to be clear, if there is a conspiracy, I feel this is a conspiracy of carelessness or mistakes. 
There is no evidence that I have come across that this is some conspiracy to keep Bernie Sanders down or to keep Elizabeth Warren down, as I have heard from uh, a lot of supporters of, uh, of Sanders. I have yet to see that evidence. But these numbers have been corrected because they were made public. And the uh, same thing I would talked about happened back in the 2012 Republican caucus disaster in Iowa. Neutron writes, so here's the deal. This isn't a conspiracy fantasy. This is real, actual errors that were found by people not involved in the reporting. I would say it's a good thing that we found uh, these errors and that they are uh, now being corrected and reported. Compare that to whatever numbers happened back in 2016 that were counted in secret on computers that human beings were never allowed to oversee. How often do these problems happen? And we don't know anything about it. The difference here is that we have all of the information. We can look at it. We can scrutinize it. We can uh, you know, look at uh, down to the... Uh, one of our friends, uh, Lulu Freistat, had uh, discovered that there was what she described initially as a rounding error on a number of the worksheets that were completed at each uh, caucus precinct in order to determine how delegates, fractional delegates if necessary, would be doled out at right. each precinct. And she collected the caucus math worksheets where we can see handwritten how they did their math. And she found, again, what she called a rounding error. And it's something, by the way, that uh, John Nichols, who we had on the show uh, on Tuesday, I think it was, just after he had come back from Iowa, he had mentioned this as well, that there were rounding errors, that they were rounding up some numbers when they had sort of fractional delegates left over that had to be uh, given to one candidate or another. So, you know, if if one candidate got a 3.4782 in the math, instead of being given three delegates, they were given four delegates. They were rounded up instead of rounding down. If they get 3.4, you'd think it rounds down to three. Right, because you can't fractionalize a human being. So uh, she had, uh, Lulu had collected all of these uh, math worksheets, which showed a lot of rounding up issues. And uh, she was very concerned about this and concerned about the way the math was being done here and thought there might be uh, something 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 foul at play here. But once she put this out, well, her post on Twitter uh, and at smartelections.us went absolutely viral. A lot of the Bernie Sanders people were pointing to this as evidence of how the election was being stole, stolen from Bernie. It turns out it's not being stolen at all. It turns out a copy of the caucus guide explains exactly what is to be done with the leftover delegates after the math happens, after everyone has been rounded up or rounded down. If they still have leftover delegates, they are to be assigned to the uh, essentially to the candidate who has uh, the highest number that is under half a percent. I know that's really confusing, so I'm trying to avoid going into the details here, but I'm trying <laughs> to say this was done as per the caucus guide. And so while it was a concern at first and it went crazy and I have seen people telling me that they're stealing it again, the Democratic Party, not just the Democrats, it's Hillary Clinton herself is stealing the election in Iowa from Bernie Sanders. And here's the evidence. Well, this evidence 
Not so much evidence. It actually is evidence that people are looking over the numbers, that they are checking them, that they are trying to get them right. And it is something that we can do because this, the entire system is so public and overseeable. And that will eventually, once they get these numbers, that will save Iowa. And I hope that it will be a lesson for everywhere else. Yes, we don't want a disaster. We don't want a meltdown. We don't want new tech in our elections. But we do want the public to be able to scrutinize these numbers. As I said, there were all sorts of errors that have now been corrected thanks to public oversight. The New York Times late today runs a story. Iowa caucus results riddled with errors and inconsistencies. And, you know, they go through some of these numbers that I'm talking about where, you know, uh, someone someone was given where, where Tom Steyer was given Elizabeth Warren's number at first until people noticed and it was corrected. The Times says there is no apparent bias in these accidents in favor of uh, either of the leaders, Pete Buttigieg or Bernie Sanders. They say that overall the effect on the winner uh, may be uh, small uh, because it's so close. But where were all of these people in 2016? You know, d- uh, Tom Perez, the Democratic uh, DNC chair, went out and said, enough is enough. We found inconsistencies. In light of the problems that have emerged in the implementation of the delegate selection plan and in order to assure public confidence in the results, I am calling on the Iowa Democratic Party to immediately begin a recanvas. That's essentially a double check of those numbers. Iowa officials uh, would have to hand audit the caucus worksheets and reporting to ensure that they were all correctly calculated and reported. And I would say good. But I would say, where were all of these people in 2016? Where was the DNC and the Democratic Party? Uh, why were why didn't they sue Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin to have a, uh, a re-examination, a re-canvas of the numbers? Why didn't they call back then before we got this madman as president to make sure that the numbers were actually right? Those that were kept in secret, counted in secret in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin. Where were those people then? Good. Re-canvas them. Recount them by hand now from scratch. I am fine by that. But it would be great if that happened in every election, not just when the Democrats screw up their caucuses. Take this as a positive lesson. Public results, public reporting is a good thing. We are finally able to oversee how this process works. That's how every election should work. Quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyne and the Green News Report. Right after this, I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks.
one of these days things are going to slow down and <laughs> we'll have time to chit chat. I know. And talk this, about more stuff. This is not one of those days. So let's get to it. Our latest green news report. Thanks to our bold regulatory reduction campaign, the United States has become the number one producer of oil and natural gas anywhere in the world. Trump misleads again on U.S. energy in his State of the Union address. Everyone in this country benefits when we invest in infrastructure. While Democrats focus on rebuilding the country. Congratulations, you just lived through the warmest January on record. Plus, the UK has now committed to 11.6 billion in tackling global climate change. Britain accelerates its ban on gasoline cars. All of that acceleration and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Which reminds me, cold, beautiful, clean, the way of the future. This one lump of coal can power a light bulb for almost Two minutes. (laughs) (laughs) This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, say it isn't true. Donald Trump lied about oil and gas and energy at his State of the Union address? That can't be. (laughs) Yeah, sorry to break it to you. I know it's a shock. It is. During his remarks in the State of the Union address this week, President Trump shelled out a number of exaggerated, misleading claims and outright lies about the U.S. energy sector, taking credit for actions taken by previous presidents, as he does, like this. Thanks to our bold regulatory reduction campaign, The United States has become the number one producer of oil and natural gas anywhere in the world, by far. So according to the Federal Energy Information Administration, the U.S. has been the world's top producer of natural gas since 2009. I didn't know Donald Trump was president in 2009. The U.S. became the top producer of oil in 2013. I didn't know he was president in 2013. Well, that was under Obama, but the trend began under Presidents George W. Bush and Obama, not because of Trump's deregulation. The only thing Trump's regulatory rollbacks have succeeded in doing is is making air and water pollution worse in the United States, and that's according to Trump's own Environmental Protection Agency. Well, that's good. Did he brag about that in his uh, State of the Union? Nope. Trump also misled the public on U.S. energy independence. With the tremendous progress we have made over the past three years, America is now energy independent. Now that is just false. There is no such thing as true energy independence with oil because oil is a global commodity. The U.S. continues to import oil and is still vulnerable to global supply shocks. And, of course, we should note that while President Obama gambled correctly that launching the natural gas drilling boom would kill off polluting coal plants, the fracking boom has become a major contributor to U.S. greenhouse gas emissions because of methane leaks, and those have increased under Trump's regulatory rollbacks. Rolling back a regulation from President Obama that would have closed off those methane leaks. Exactly. Trump also touted joining the One Trillion Trees Global Reforestation Initiative. Well, that sounds nice. That's intended to plant trees, but he didn't mention that his administration is focused on cutting trees down, increasing logging across the public's national forests. 
In the Democratic response, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, unlike Donald Trump, at least mentioned climate change. She focused primarily on Democratic officials who are rebuilding infrastructure wherever they can. All across the country, Democratic leaders are rebuilding bridges, fixing roads, expanding broadband, and cleaning up drinking water. Everyone in this country benefits when we invest in infrastructure. Meanwhile, January 2020 was the hottest January ever recorded since record-keeping began in the 1880s. That's according to Copernicus, the European Union's climate agency, and it's expected to be closely matched by NASA and NOAA analyses later this month. For the first time on record, Oslo, Stockholm, Helsinki, and Copenhagen all remained above freezing for the entire month of January. Mm. The new heat records put 2020 on track to be among the top two hottest years on record, thanks to man-made global warming. Finally, some good climate action news. Britain has announced it is moving up its ban on the sale of new gasoline, diesel, and hybrid cars to 2035. That's five years earlier than previously planned. It's an attempt to reduce air pollution and address climate change, Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced this week. Ending internal combustion engine cars in the UK will also generate jobs as the plan includes funding to build out a national electric car charging network. So so this is Donald Trump's friend, Boris Johnson. <laughs> yes. And he's in favor of spending billions to fight climate change. Yeah. That's weird. Maybe he'll have a discussion about it with Donald Trump. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. And help Desi and I to keep going with the Green News Report by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Beep, 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 yeah. yeah. So they're actually banning gas cars in the UK? Yes, gas, diesel, even hybrid cars to cut air pollution because that saves money on public health. Why can't we do that here? We can. It just requires getting the people into office, and that means people have to vote. And that means some people have to get out of office. (laughs) Uh, Very good. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, I hope you will download it for free and share it with everyone you know at bradblog.com where we make every show going back through the beginning of time available. That is thanks to those of you who support our efforts by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue. Drop me an email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am the Bradblog. That is it. Until we see you next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Beep, 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 yeah.